welcome back to Wings Nuts, the frequently weekly audio program that talks about each and every episode of classic 90s sitcom Wings. Once you pop, you cannot stop. Hey, how are you, Emerson? You know, frequently good. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. I like the frequently weekly. That's an acknowledgement of our recent um, <laughs> delivery delays. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, it's weekly is the goal. Boy, oh boy, Jared, it's been 10 months and, you know, I haven't heard from you. What have you been doing for this past 10 months? Not reading the Boston Globe. I took a break from the news. Have you been keeping up on the, the news? A little bit. Yeah. We'll we'll get into it. Yeah. And this, uh, we're jumping into season three, right? So we had a cliffhanger. We had an episode that I really didn't like that you liked, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, did. I liked the uh, season two finale. Mm -hmm. And we're beginning with the season three uh, int finale. <laughs> I don't know what the opposite of finale is. Mm -hmm. Intro that, um, yeah, we'll see how we feel about it by the end of it. And this season three, uh, season two closed out in, what was it, February or April or May? One of those months? It was, I, I believe it was March. March, yeah. And then um, season three picks up in September. Seasons are something TV shows used to have before they just all dropped occasionally on netflix right like all at once just 12 episodes of like of a new mcgee uh mm -hmm. cartoon true crime show about hamsters that solve uh gerbil murders <laughs> yes know. yeah yeah or like on regular tv you get shows that somehow come out crank out like three seasons a year now and just seem to never end um mm. when it comes to like reality and game shows yeah I used to work in Hollywood, and um, on like on our short walk to Starbucks, quick shout out, <laughs> <laughs> I would pass um a warehouse where they they shot something having to do with um what's it called like the Dancing with the Stars, mm -hmm. and I walked past it one day, and they had like some props set up that were labeled DWTS twenty five Dancing with the Stars twenty five, and it was in honor of their 25th season. And I was like super, super shocked because I didn't, I couldn't imagine that that show mm -hmm. had, had been on. I felt, like, I felt like that show had been around for like five or six years, but I think it, it's probably been around for like 10 to 15, but they, they do like two to three seasons a year. And uh, I kind of miss when, you know, your shows, they would, they would kind of follow the, the school schedule, you know, you'd get, a new episode roughly every week and you'd get about 22 to 26 episodes a season and then they would go on hiatus and you would get like reruns in the summer or you'd sometimes what i thought was really cool is they would do like you know uh replacement shows like kind of shows that have like a short run and maybe six episodes just a something a riskier project that they'll just try out in the summer i was so i always kind of like looked forward to the summer schedule where i can uh, catch reruns of some of my favorite shows and see some other like weird little shows pop up. I think I was just waiting for cartoons when I was a kid, mm -hmm. whatever like the new cartoon was Animaniacs and like the real Ghostbusters Muppet Babies. Those oh, were my, those were my jams. I remember I was a big Snick boy like that Saturday night Nickelodeon. Oh my God. You know, I, w I didn't have cable really growing up. Like we had cable occasionally but um, not to the extent that I got to like really experience a lot of like the Nickelodeon and or Disney Channel shows that a lot of my 
you know, my, my present day, uh, my modern day colleagues got to experience. So yeah, I don't have a lot of those same references. How sad you're going to make me cry, Emerson. Oh, I got to watch like Parker Lewis can't lose and get a life. Mm -hmm. I watched Twin Peaks when it was on the air. So that's kind of, that's kind of cool. And um, yeah, this season three, episode one is called Mm -hmm. The Naked Truth and it was written. I'm sorry. It's called The Naked Truth and it debuted uh, September 19th, 1991. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 91919991. Oh my God. (laughs) So you're into numerology, I take it. Yeah, I, I just I'm looking at the date on my uh my monitor here. That's amazing. Nine one nine one nine nine one. Oh, that's either a blessed or cursed date. Oh, I so I picked a um a synopsis for us to read. IMDb synopsis: Helen's been away in New York for months since the end of season two, when Joe gets a late night call from her. The call convinces Joe that he and Brian should go to New York to visit Helen. They do, and are shocked to find her wearing a skimpy costume, waitressing in a sleazy strip club. While at first she insists that she's happy with her life, she eventually confesses that she's miserable, and Joe convinces Helen to let them bring her back to Nantucket. Joe, however, neglects to tell Helen that since she left, he started dating someone new. The news comes as a huge blow to Helen, and in her anger, she surprises Joe by breaking one of his steadfast rules. No driving in the hangar. <laughs> I kind of love this one because it it, uh, it doesn't spoil everything. Joe kind of made her break her rule of no dating pilots, so it's only fair that she breaks one of his rules, I guess, in the sunset of their relationship. But mm-hmm. And this was the first episode not to be produced by Roz Doyle, who passed away, sadly, in the spring and summer of 91 prior to the premiere of this one and um and we'll recall that they they named a character on Frasier after her to kind of honor her that's really sweet this was also um this episode was written by Dave Hackle who is a veteran to the show he wrote there once was a girl from Nantucket all for one and two for Helen a stand up kind of guy love is like pulling teeth and last season's highly rated murder she roast Okay. And we get a Gnome Pitlick did not direct this episode. We get a new director to Wings, a gentleman who goes by the name Andy Ackerman, because that's his name. He is a veteran director of television still working today. He kind of started out on Cheers. He directed shows like Rock, Ellen. He did a bunch of Seinfelds, Becker, some Curb Your Enthusiasms, The Connors, and I saw that he directed the terrible U.S. pilot of Peep Show. I don't know if you caught that. It's, it's on YouTube. No. I didn't realize they made a U.S. pilot. It's got that actor, um, Johnny Galecki, in it as like the Mark character. It's hard to watch a remake of a show that you know. Mm-hmm. Like I think that the American Office did a great job of really just kind of departing from the British one. Yeah. I think that if they would have tried to follow like the, the plot line of the first season of the UK office, it mm-hmm. wouldn't have been a success. Cause yeah. I was like really reluctant to watch the American office after having like been blown away by, by the, you know, 
this guy Richard Gervais. I'm not sure whether or not he believes in God, but I don't. He <laughs> he might not. He's been very ambivalent about that, you know. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah. sure if he if he equates it to uh, just pure lying or not, but. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, like I think that like what made that show work for me when I finally like relented and watched it was that it be it was kind of loosely based on the same idea, but it became its own thing. Mm-hmm. And then we get some guest stars this episode. John Papas, and he played customer. And the best I could figure is he plays the customer that's kind of like yelling at Helen in the strip club. I think that's um, right. Yeah, and he has an early credit in the fantastic film uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. He was on TJ Hooker, Cheers, Bob. What's, by the way, what's your thoughts on Cassavetes? <laughs> what's my take on Cassavetes? <laughs> what's your take on Cassavetes? <laughs> Herbert. Genius. Misogynist. <laughs> I've, yeah, I'm not that familiar with him, except I liked him in in um, that Elaine May movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Oh, he's he's a fantastic actor, and then like an even better filmmaker. Um, although I I did see a triple feature of Cassavetes' films at the Nubev Cinema, mm-hmm. uh, and I think three in a row is too much Cassavetes. But okay. And then we had Robert Gen- Gentley. Robert Gently, oh, Gently. Oh, and by the, sorry, sorry but, uh-huh. but the guy that we don't see is is credited in the Cassavetes movie. Is that yes. right? Yeah. Okay. Um, if if yeah, we don't see this guy. We just hear his voice, and oftentimes we get guest stars who we see a lot of but don't hear their voice, and they don't get to have their name uh, in the credits, which is sad. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they didn't show him. We'll get to it later. Well, I guess we could just talk about it now, but because mm-hmm. like they do have some panning shots of the strip club, but like they don't really show him. Yeah, you just kind of hear him from off off screen. Yeah, yeah. Go, moving on to your you are saying oh, the next guy. We have Robert Genital John Robert Gen Gentili. Mm-hmm. Gentili Lurs. Um, no, Robert <laughs> Gentili. He uh-huh. played Doorman, and he was the guy who. Uh, was the doorman for the for the women's feminine dancing uh, establishment he looked kind of familiar he looked like a uh Andrew Dice clay type of guy yeah i guess that that's true yeah and he was on matlock and time cop the tv show then we have jonathan palmer and he was the priest that brian gets off the plane with See, and, part of me was hoping you were going to say that that the last guy, Gentile, was the priest, because that would have been a perfect name for him. <laughs> no, sadly, no. We have a Jonathan Palmer playing the priest, mm-hmm. and he has appeared on L.A. Law, ER, X-Files, Parks and Rec, and he's a regular on a show I never heard of called Avenue 43. Oh, I've looked it up. It's a web show, web series. Oh. I forgot about web series. It seems like that was a big thing not not too many years ago, and you don't really see web series anymore. Yeah, you really don't. I mean, you know, to be honest, I never really, really did because, like, I like to watch things on a TV. Yeah, I think the last good web series I saw was uh, Webster. <laughs> All right, and that's our show. (laughs) (laughs) 
finally, we have Gretchen German, who played Gale. Like, maybe the first adult so far in Wings. The first person to act rationally. But I don't know. She kind of comes around to the other side. I would say she's like too adult. She's so adult, it's almost like psychotic. I think that they're trying to tell, like, portray it that way. Yeah. This is like where, we, where you and I might differ on this one because mm-hmm. I, we'll uh, see. We'll see. I can't wait to disagree with you. <laughs> Potentially. Um, and it'll be another 10 months before we talk again. So Gay, uh, Gretchen, German, Germ, Gretchen German appeared on the TV show of Alien Nation, which I actually thought was really good. Uh, Coach, 227, Seinfeld, Home Improvement, Star Trek DS9. Uh, she played. I know she played a member of the Maquis on that, and she was on Modern Family. And like you, you mentioned that this is the first one directed by like um, Andy Ackerman, and it, mm-hmm. this this episode has a different feel to it. And partly, I think, because they're like going, they're changing location. Lowell's hair got long. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. some other things feel like a little bit different. I think. This clearly had a big budget, but just based on a couple of the sets they used, it was probably hundred percent, probably one of the most expensive episodes of Wings to date. Um, but yeah, it did feel different. But Andy Ackerman, just based on his credits, he's he seems to be a in demand director. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good for him. But just based off this one episode, I would say I think Noam Pitlick has more of a deft hand and more of a style that that vibes with me i think so but we might i mean if we see ackerman going in in the future we might he might find his footing as they say yes 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 yes. well shall we dip into the the news of the day let's do it so by the way like since since ros doyle did pass away in the period between i looked for I mentioned in the, in the Inquirer meter, but they did not mention it, unfortunately. I was hoping that they would, uh, you know, do a quick shout out. Mm-hmm. News wasn't as easy to come by back then as it is now. Like, yeah. if she would, if she was to pass away, like between season one and season two of, um, the Gen Z wings, you know, there would be mm-hmm. like lots of like Twitter stories and people remembering her. But back then, yeah, it's, it's sad. And I'm kind of starting to get the sense too that the Nantuck and Inquirer and Mirror, I think, is ignoring this little show called Wings for some reason. Because you know, you don't, you would think, being that a major sitcom is set in that town, there would be some interest in it. But there's, there's no, never really any mentions that we come across in the newspaper. So I'm wondering if they don't really like the attention it brings to their happy little Hamlet. That's a great point, actually. That's a really great point. Um, well, speaking of the Inquirer Mirror, <laughs> while they're not bringing much attention to the TV show Wings, um, what they are bringing attention to in the summer between season two and season three is rollerblading. Rollerblading on the rise along with injured skaters. Rollerblading accidents are on the rise as more of the sports enthusiasts are taking to the island's roads and bike paths many without proper safety equipment. Nantucket Cottage Hospital officials reported that the number of serious injuries resulting from the use of rollerblades or inline track skates have already tripled (laughs) over last year's figures. According to Director of Community Relations, Sandra Steves, 
There were no serious rollerblading injuries, those resulting in broken bones or worse. Last year, where there have already been three this year, one resulting in multiple fractures. In total, four rollerblading accident victims have been treated at the Nantucket Cottage Hospital so far this year, Steve said. And I love, like, there's a picture of a man leading a group of rollerbladers, like, toward camera, and it says, Donald Walsh of Marston's Mills leads the pack at this spring's Leprechaun Classic. <laughs> this race is a good indication of how popular rollerblades have become. Yeah, so so yeah, basically rollerblading is becoming a big sensation, and uh, <laughs> so are so are accidents. You got to admit though, it has stuck around. I mean, I don't see as many people blading as I did in the '90s, but uh, and I think in some ways roller skating has made a resurgence. But you still see blades out there in the in the mean streets. I had like a really delightful moment um, during COVID when when my friend Layla was like, "Oh yeah, I like saw that place was opening up when I was rollerblading down the LA River," and mm-hmm. I was like, "What? <laughs> That's so cool." That would be so fun to rollerblade in the LA River. Do you want to hear some um, some of their tips? It would be actually really fun. Although, yeah, I'd rather bicycle or skateboard. I like I've never been good at roller skating or rollerblading. I feel way more confident on a skateboard. I was gonna say I like roller skating because I like my wheels to be in parallel lines, not like just one line. You like like in line? <laughs> yeah, I don't like them in line. I like two parallel lines. You know. I'm much more comfortable on a pair of skates, but I, maybe that'll change after I hear these hot blading tips. Okay, yeah. Besides wearing protective gear, other safety tips for rollerbladers from both Young and Forsgren. And Forsgren, by the way, is a woman who was actually wearing protective gear, like a helmet, knee, pa- knee pads, and uh, mm-hmm. I think elbow pads, but she still managed to like, um, like fracture her leg in like eight parts. It's really, it's really rough. If you think that's bad, you should see her ego. All right. Besides wearing protective gear, other safety tips for rollerbladers from both Young and Forge Grin are skate to the right of the bike paths to allow room for others to pass in either direction. If you are going to skate in pairs, side by side, keep an eye out for those behind you who may wish to pass. Do not wear Walkmans or other stereo headsets as hearing what is happening around you is an important part of safe rollerblading. Watch out for sand patches. Roll through them. Do not attempt to stride or blade through them as the sand will cause you to fall. Slow down when approaching an intersection. Rollerblades are difficult to stop on and require more space to do so. So yeah, those are some important tips to remember. Actually, I think sand is oh. what got what got Forsgren. Well, yeah, no doubt. It's blading on the beach, yeah. Yeah, um, she says. She actually says she says that she was trying to avoid a sand patch and came to a stop at an intersection. There was no preparation. Tip number eleven: wear bright neon clothes, not just for visibility, but because it's the nineties. <laughs> Absolutely. What date? What 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 date was that article from? That was from uh, June thirteenth. Okay, good. Glad. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for digging that one up, so we didn't miss it. Um, I got a, a long one here from the September 19th uh, Nantucket Inquirer and Mirror. Great. And um, this is a letter to the editor written by a total psycho named Robert A. Dick Curio. Robert A. Dick Curio. And I looked him up and he's written a bunch of like Nantucket-centric books, it looks like. And... Um, 
This is uh, a little novella he wrote in letter to the editor form. Oh my god, okay. I commend the Nantucket newspapers and their reporters for bringing to light what appears to be widespread malfeasance, or worse. Even though reading such news is more and more an exercise in disgust and revulsion. Provoked to profanity, I must ask what the hell is going on here? And are we ready to put a stop to it? One. A bank president is quoted as follows. The banks were swept up in the frenzy along with everyone else. Every doctor, lawyer, and news reporter became a real estate developer. It was easy to do for seven or eight years. Thanks a lot, Mr. Bank President, for fueling the frenzy. His particular bank, as a result, lost about $700,000 so far this year and faces a possible loss of another $2 million in loans to one single customer. Easy to do with other people's money. Do you suppose there are any doctors, lawyers, reporters on the island, or bankers who are not swept up in this frenzy? Perhaps they will be heard from. Two, another bank president is quoted as follows. We're not going to give any loans for speculative building at the moment, but when people have good credit and a loan makes sense, there will always be money for them here. And it will be other people's money as before. This particular bank lost $4.2 million in 1990 and another half a million so far this year. One wonders which of this bank's employees is capable of this. Evidently, they have been loaning money to people with poor credit for activities that didn't make sense. Bankers are not supposed to be swept up in frenzies. Is this the way to attract depositors? Bankers are supposed to protect deposits by making prudent loans and wise investments. This is what little guys like me were taught to expect. Instead, they go public, sell stock, and then try to buy up other banks for growth. Well, there's another G word that applies here, and I hope they'll be facing up to it. Or is the contrition just for the moment? Three. A $15 million radar system at the airport lacks radar screen costing about 2% of the total investment. Result? Airplane crash. Pennywise Pound Foolish doesn't begin to do justice to this one. Four. Two years after the completion of a $32 million high school that brought modern industrial arts equipment and classrooms to the island's vocational-minded students, budget cuts have rendered almost half the program idle. Why budget cuts? A big reason has got to be waste. Wasted money trying to heat huge corridors with sky-high ceilings surrounded by acres of glass that remain uncovered at night, allowing the heat to be radiated out to the cold night sky. And this is the building that Mr. Borchardt called the most energy-efficient building on the island at the recent electrical company hearing in front of the State Department of Public Utilities. Wasted money on outside lighting. Maybe three or four times the number needed of big outside floodlights, like the one on an isolated black-topped basketball court. On all through the night, 365 days a year. Other people's money. Taxpayers' money. Some of us try to conserve electricity. Five. A local doctor, himself a member of the school committee, is reported to have made light of preventing sexually transmitted disease at a committee meeting. Perhaps professional deportment is it is infra 
is infrading on an upscale <laughs> island vacation. <laughs> is it not revealing that the city of Cambridge was characterized in this context as being on another planet? So let it be written. The two savings banks in Cambridge are on the blue ribbon list of safe, sound, and profitable institutions published by Verabank's you-know-what list. Evidently, others agree that we are on different planets. If this is what pandering to the almighty tourist dollar has earned us, then we had better think twice. Some are people, and some are not. Six. Department Wait, of Public... Was that a pun, by the way? <laughs> yeah. Some are people... Remember we read that letter about the summer people? Yeah. He's referring to the... Uh, uh, I guess that term is catching on. And I love it. Nantucketers and, and their their regard for the summer people. Yes. And yeah, he had a good plan. Words there. Six. Department of Public Works gets swept up in a frenzy and cuts down an undamaged big tree that the good people of this community have spent money on year after year to protect. Seven. How about a progress report from the electric company on burying overhead wires? Or aren't we entitled to know how they're spending other people's money, our 2% of our electric bills? Eight. The town's brand new $26 million sewage treatment plant is not operatable by licensed operators, but has to be turned back over to the engineers that designed it. Meanwhile, sewer gas can be smelled where it was never smelled before. Before treatment, that amounts to absolutely nothing more than separating the solid sludge from the sewer liquid that is sent, properly as in the battle days, to filter beds to leach out into the ocean. Only now, after this so-called treatment, the solid sewage is mixed up with wood chips, piled up on concrete slab, and air is blown through it. The resulting compost is slated to be spread around the island to enrich the soil, instead of being kept isolated as before on a remote beach, and to leach into our drinking water instead of the ocean. This is what the $26 million of tax money buys? Anyone for a nominal $10 million compost plant at the dump? <laughs> John Chancellor is on target when he observes that a lot of people come here and act as if the island was some sort of game park or fantasy land. They have been induced and seduced by island's trustees, the establishment, the custodians of a special island, qui quodon pesher custodes, who's to place the custodians into custody, who's left to be trusted. It doesn't have to be this way. It is possible to straighten up and fly right. We can check our mirrors. Where there's a will, there's a way. The Nantucket way, the old way, the right way. First time, all the time. Robert A. de Kirkikio. That's incredible. Sorry, I didn't know how to edit that. I had to read the whole thing. I think he touched on a few things that we actually like touched on prior to the season two finale. Yeah, that's like, kind of why I, d I dug this letter. Because it yeah, touched on news that we hit. And then also it seems like he's injecting some other recent news stories that we probably skipped. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, and he's just gosh. a total crank. Even when he's like talking about something I'm familiar with, he has a way of talking about it from a sideways way that makes no sense. I'm like, are you for or against? Or <laughs> what's going on here? I love it. And God bless the uh, Nantucket Inquirer and Mirror for just printing the whole damn letter. 
Uh, Sharice, how many birds you got? <laughs> all right, all right. R- run, run the kook letter. <laughs> <laughs> Put out a special edition called the Kukri Kuri Kyo. They should do like a, a an oops all kook letters. <laughs> <laughs> oops all the Kukrio. <laughs> oh my god. So this, I might have actually touched on this article um, before. Let me know if it sounds familiar because I have a follow-up. If I did and if I didn't, then we have like a fun kind of, uh, uh, what's the word? Like a, a runner of um, kookiness from mm-hmm. a different person. Hudson arrested after two months on the run locally. After going underground for over two months to avoid facing civil court judgments on debts exceeding $13,000, John Hudson was apprehended by officials yesterday and taken into custody. Hudson, with the last known address of Safe Harbor Guest House, failed to appear in district court on several occasions last November and December to answer to debts owed former landlords totaling $13,524.34. On December 31st, Judge W. James O'Neill issued a civil default arrest warrant for Hudson, but the defendant disappeared from sight. Yesterday afternoon, police were tipped off that Hudson had been seen at the Pleasant Street Post Office. State Trooper James Ellis and Chef Sheriff Bud Clute arrived at the scene at 2 p.m. as police officer Richard Brett Schneider blocked Hudson's car in the post office parking lot. Clute arrested Hudson and took him to the courthouse. According to District Court Clerk uh, Susan McLeod, O'Neill ordered Hudson held on $500 cash bail, but he posted the amount after Clute escorted to a big. So he has the money. He has mm-hmm. money. He is to appear in civil court on Monday to explain why he defaulted and why he has not paid his debts. In the two outstanding supplementary process judgments against Hudson, he is to pay former landlord Edward Anderman $10,781.80 in back rent, his tenancy at um, at Anaman's Sassapana Roadhouse was terminated in April 89, and a civil complaint was filed by um, Anaman's attorney, Wayne Holmes, in August 89. He also has a June 21st, 1990 judgment against him for $2742.54 owed to former landlord Louis Ayat. Hudson's Tennessee was terminated at Ayat's uh, Brenda Lane house in April 1990. Uh, Hudson's attorney, Bertel Johnson, plans to submit a motion on Monday to withdraw as Hudson's counsel. This is what sounds actually kind of extra familiar. He said Hudson has failed to adhere to the legal advice he has been given, has been difficult to reach to offer legal counseling, and owes Johnson money for his services that Johnson uh, doubts Hudson has the ability to pay. It's pretty wild. Yeah. So Johnson said Hudson also owes a final contempt of court fine for failing to appear as directed and believes he has a third outstanding judgment for payment involving another landlord. Well, I brought it up because... <laughs> um. We're going to we're going to jump forward a little bit. May 16th, 1991. So this is like 3 months after the previous article. Cops nab suspect in antiques theft. <laughs> Police acted on two search warrants Wednesday, raiding two Sun Island storage lockers and seizing more than $50,000 worth of antiques they allege were stolen from Tonkin of Nantucket Antiques. Detective David Smith said on the scene that the district court search warrants were issued at 3 p.m. Wednesday against John D. Hudson, 44, (laughs) of Harborview Way. This guy rules. This morning, police arrested Hudson and charged him with receiving stolen property valued over $250 and larceny of property worth over $250. Hudson was an employee of Tonkin Antiques until last year, according to police. And so basically this guy had stolen, he had 
uh, storage lockers, like like holding fifty thousand dollars worth of antiques that he had stolen over the years. <laughs> um, and he was eventually found guilty. I think that like they ordered him to return the stolen goods to like the the antique shops that he sold them from, and he was given a few months of probation. So he got off pretty light, I believe. But yeah, yeah. I like tried to find other information about him because. There, I listened to this podcast recently called um, Small Town Murder. And it, he reminds me a lot of this man who just was like, he was like almost like a, a Canadian hobbit that ended up like doing some terrible things. Mm-hmm. And remind me a little bit of this guy where he was just kind of not paying his debts, wandering around, like living as he did, and then working in antique shops and just like screwing people over wherever he could. This guy's a character for sure. I'd love to know what he's up to today. Hundred percent. I like tried to find, but I could not find very much. So, if anybody, any of you out there know, please hit us up at wingsnutsprogram at gmail.com. Is that right? Yeah. And if you are, um, oh, if you're John Hudson, yeah, give us a ring. John D. Hudson. John probably Hudson. be in your seventy. John D. Hudson. John Hudson. You know. However, I bet if you want to find those antiques he stole, you can go to that antique shop, and I'm sure they're they're still there because. For some, when I think of antique stores, I think of a store that I go into once a year for like twenty years, and they seem to always have the same exact inventory. And I just wonder how they stay in business. Antique stores to me are are like um, uh, I'll like find like an old chair to sit in while my girlfriend or my mom or whoever like whatever person that I'm with that like shops for way too long, and I just like either like finish a book on my phone or. <laughs> find something to like do to to distract myself i can do like one pretty quick circuit Mm -hmm. but although i will admit i went to one in orange which is like not far from anaheim and that was the first antique shop i've ever been in where they had stuff that actually like kind of appealed to me like they had a lot of sort of pop culture 1980s antiques and that is like right up my alley yeah, you get have to get out of a major metropolis to find interesting antique stores. I bought like a set of um, Christmas Christmas vacation uh, cups. Okay, I'm going to hop to the Boston Globe from September 19th, 1991. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought we were done with the Iraq War, and we kind of are, but um, in this interim period, what we've missed is kind of the U.S. and other nations kind of mediating the post-war uh, period of Iraq. And it seems like they've been working out a plan of weapons inspections with Iraq and Saddam Hussein. And there's a couple articles relating to the latest brouhaha with the, with this. Um, so there's a nice summary article. First of all, it's, it's topped with a really interesting picture of Dick Cheney uh, caught with his eyes closed and they printed the picture. It's pretty good. And, the, and uh, here's the little um, bullet points. Mm-hmm. What cards has Iraq left to play, asked a UN official, noting that the economically ailing regime is currently seeking humanitarian aid and oil price subsidies from the United Nations. According to UN inspection officials, Iraq's poor compliance includes the following items. Iraq initially gave the UN inspectors a list of 52 Scud missiles, but the monitors found hundreds more missiles and suspect others are still hidden. Iraq said it had no nuclear weapons program, but the International Atomic Energy Agency found secret facilities for enriching uranium 
to use in the making of nuclear weapons. Iraq gave the United Nations a list of more than 10,000 chemical warheads, but inspectors found at least 40,000 other weapons, some loaded with warheads, which will now be destroyed. So that's kind of the, the state of the rancor between the U.S., the U.N., and Iraq. And another article that I won't get into, it kind of outlined how the U.S. is planning a big air convoy to es- escort U.N. weapons inspectors back into Iraq. I mean, I know that that, that ends up being like a long time thing and that eventually like is what George W. uses kind of as his like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like and what's soon to follow that I'm not sure we'll get into in the coming wing seasons is, you know, kind of crippling sanctions, which and I know end up killing like at least a million Iraqis, um, many children and stuff. So, yeah, the, ne- the next uh, decade won't be won't be pretty for Iraq. Yeah. Poor, poor place. I mean, I'm sure there's like beautiful. I actually like w- there was a crossword uh, clue recently that talked about like a city that was a mile, like a capital of a country that's a mile high. And it ended up being the capital of uh, Afghanistan, I think. Mm. Is it Ka- Kabul? Mm-hmm. Which obviously yeah. is not the same as Iraq, but like it just reminds me of like all the places in the Middle East that I will never visit because like like uh, currently I, I think that like the, the U.S. government recommends that that we don't whatever just travel warnings against all that stuff and there's been so much sort of like unfortunate like run-ins between the U.S. and all these different countries that that like I don't think that, I don't think being an American is a popular thing to be often outside of America. And so yeah. like, it's not, yeah. not that safe for us to really travel, which is a bummer because I'd love to like see Kabul. It looks beautiful. I like looked, looked at pictures of it and I was like, this, this looks incredible. Yeah. And, and that's like the cradle of civilization, you know, the Iraq and everything. Yeah. In America, you're not really like walking through history because it's like such a young country. And, you know, granted there <laughs> were people here before, but we kind of like, wiped out most of the evidence of them. Um, but, you know, you mm-hmm. go somewhere like Iraq and you're, you're seeing more than uh, 10,000 years of history. Well, uh, moving on from that depressing <laughs> bit, of, <laughs> bit, of, uh, bit of stuff. Uh, this is from June 27th. And it's, I think it's an advertisement. It just says, taxi, taxi. And I'm your taxi beat here on uh, Wings Nuts. I like to like, keep uh, keep us abreast of what's happening with taxi things over Nantucket. I mean... Uh, are the what, shirts what? off or on? Have they put their shirts on? Jared, you know the shirts are off. <laughs> yes. Taxi, taxi. On Nantucket, we are lucky to have our taxi cabs owned by individuals who care about Nantucket, who take pride in promoting the good things about our wonderful island, who are helpful and accurate in the way they handle the thousands of questions they are asked. These men and women are the first to greet and the last to say goodbye to the vast amount of visitors who come to Nantucket every day. The responsibility of welcoming our visitors falls upon their shoulders. The visitors start their pleasant experience on Nantucket in a cab, and their final memories may be left up to the cab driver as well. What a disaster it would be if the cab drivers were insensitive, crude, uncaring, or disrespectful to visitors. After many years of intense competition between cab owners, where many were trying to get the bulk of the business through various means, they have now teamed up. Drivers from the Taxi Association to help promote better taxi service for the whole island. 
They started a dress code. Boo. Mm. A uniform rate card was decided upon, and several standards have been set between the group. Visitors will soon be able to obtain a question and answer card that can be mailed back to Nantucket Postage Paid so they can share comments about service on the island of all kinds. Let us each take time to thank these hardworking ambassadors of Nantucket for welcoming our visitors so kindly and for their ongoing goodwill and promotion of happiness on Nantucket. All right. Signed, signed anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> Not brave enough to, to, to put your name to your opinions? I also love the line, the visitors start their pleasant experience on Nantucket in a cab and their final memories may be left up to the cab driver as well. That sounds so <laughs> ominous. I don't know, St. Peter. Uh, what, one, one time I was like on Nantucket, you know, getting some drinks with some buddies. The next thing I know, I was in a taxi cab, but now I'm here. <laughs> Boy, he left me with some indelible final memories. <laughs> when I think of like a taxi cab or a service like that, I just want it to be as quick and easy as possible. I'm not filling out a card and putting a stamp on an envelope and mailing it, you know? Unless like I'm really upset about like something that happened. Otherwise, I'm just going to be like, yeah, whatever. That's the thing, right? Like comment cards are not like a fair sample for of like the general mood and tone of everyone's opinions because usually when it comes to something like that people only leave a comment if they're pissed off or the flip side is like you know there's some places that'll say like hey we'll give you a free coffee if you rate us on yelp or something you know or leave yeah. us a comment in that case you're only going to leave positive comments because you're getting something for free so you there's not i don't i don't see like a, a good way to really get the an honest assessment of customer satisfaction I agree. I, I think that like in a lot of cases too, no feedback is good feedback. Exactly. Like I actually had like a little bit of a pet peeve about it. Like when, when I like, um, you know, like have a transaction with a company, I don't want them to follow up with me about it. Like that's in the transaction. Mm -hmm. I, you gave me your service or your goods. I give you my money done. I don't want to like be like needled to, um, to like, you know, give feedback or tell you like, you know what I mean? Cause I've also uh, in in the midst of you know being trying to find work you know when work was scarce, I've I've like taken jobs as like a um, an opinion you know like where they pay you like a hundred dollars to like give your opinion on like various tastes and stuff. Yeah, and like I feel like there's value to that, and like companies demanding you to give that to them is like kind of a I don't know I like my time is more valuable than like you know than whatever value I got out of your product. Yeah, they're asking you to do free work, aren't they? 100%. This is my last article here, and it's regarding Clarence Thomas. And I thought this was interesting because this guy has just been making headlines for decades. He's been in the news recently. Like, There's a lot of um, print about the, the detailing his bromance with his gentleman benefactor billionaire Harlan Crow. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy who like, Gave, um, said, let's say, bribes and kickbacks to Clarence Thomas, Thomas, Tom, Clarence, Clarence Thomas in the form of like buying his mom's house and taking him and his wife on fancy vacations. And, you know, there's been controversy about a lot of the, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in, uh, bribes and, um, him and his wife regularly receive and him kind of cheating on his taxes and fudging his financial, financials. So he's, 
he's always been a kind of controversial political figure. And it just so happened in 1991, it was the era when he was seated to the Supreme Court. You know, folks today might not remember, but Joe Biden was the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee way back when in 1991. And it's like Joe Biden, we have to thank that for kind of like grease in the wheel to get Clarence Thomas uh, confirmed to the Supreme Court in the first place, because uh, Joe Biden blocked um, the testimony of at least three women, three women that would have supported Anita Hill's uh, position that, um, you know, Thomas sexually harassed her and others. And so, you know, that that act alone by Biden um, uh, pretty much made it a lot easier for him to be seated. So what I have here from the Boston Globe is kind of a editorial by Ellen Goodman, and it's called I'm in the 1% Club. My 12-year-old friend Julia has an opinion on women's constitutional rights to abortion. So does my 94-year-old aunt. So for that matter, does the cab driver who took me from Harvard Square to Beacon Hill last week, although he couldn't decide whether it was fixed in the right to privacy or liberty. After two decades of heated debate, it seems everyone has an opinion about abortion. Just this week, the latest in a never-ending series of polls asked Americans whether they generally favor or generally oppose a woman's right to decide. Only 1% answered, don't know. So it may be that the only thinking, breathing, newspaper-reading, television-watching person in America between 12 and 94 who appears to have no opinion whatsoever on this subject is the current nominee for the Supreme Court. I give you Clarence Thomas, heir apparent to the seat on the highest court in the land, a phrase which he says gives him goosebumps. In six days of questioning, we discovered that this man, who was in law school when Roe v. Wade was decided, never discussed the case with his fellow students. Senator, he said, I cannot remember personally engaging in those discussions. He was married, he explained, and he went right home after class. I'll skip ahead here. Mm -hmm. Thomas is ambitious and savvy. He has followed the lead of David Souter and Anthony Kennedy, who were only marginally less evasive on the same question. Everyone except incurable idealists knows that the only way to get confirmed is to avoid controversy. If you aren't a blank slate, get an eraser. All three branches of government are now political in the very worst sense of that word. They are marketed, handled, carefully packaged, and the public isn't angry or surprised anymore, but merely increasingly alienated. This is what we know from the hearings. Only losers say what they think. The only place we'll read Clarence Thomas's mind is in the Supreme Court opinion. And read his mind we have because, you know, last year... um, the Dobbs decision kind of basically overturned uh, Roe v. Wade. And um, Clarence Thomas obviously weighed in on that, and he was on the, the side uh, to overturn Roe v. Wade. The Supreme Court is is such a uh, corrupted and lost uh, institution. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty sad. Yeah, it really is. It's pretty, pretty upsetting. In the April thirteenth, nineteen ninety five issue, uh, this is like, this is years later, um, but it's in the classified section and it's Inquirer Mirror, and it's in the section wanted to rent. So this is where people list their desire to like rent places. 
A small, small studio apartment, year-round, retired professional property manager with man's best friend, ideal tenant, excellent references, John Hudson. <laughs> no way. So I, I guess like he's like ideal that, tenant, huh? Ideal tenant, yes. <laughs> if your ideal is not a guy that doesn't pay you rent, yeah. But I was gonna finish up. What do you think? Uh, there's two articles I was considering from like the um, bringing it coming back to like modern days, September nineteenth, ninety one. We have one twenty five businesses nailed in liquor sting. What? Or we Na- have tour nailed in what? Nailed oh, in, nailed in liquor sting. That's in fun. liquor sting. Or we have tour operators actions questioned. I'll start with the liquor sting. We'll just yeah. we'll just do that one. One third of the island's liquor sellers sold alcohol to a minor undercover agent this month, police said, and may now face license suspensions. During the first week of September, a 20-year-old police officer, Narc, in plain clothes, ordered alcohol in all 70 island restaurants and stores that sell liquor. In 25 cases, the bartender, waitress, or cashier requested no identification, police said. In a similar operation in 1985, 20 establishments caught selling to a minor had their license is suspended for three days. I'm a little disappointed, said Police Chief Randy Norris. I thought the number would be all of them. I wanted to bust them all. No way did he say that. No. He said, okay. I thought the number would go down. And I'm not putting a shirt on. <laughs> if the taxi drivers have to do it, neither do I. Pinning this badge to my nipple sure hurts. <laughs> but it also feels kind of sexy. The businesses will be cited by the police under a law that places the responsibility for penalties in the hands of the selectmen. The board may suspend the license for a period of time or revoke them completely. Norris said the target of the sting was restaurants, not individual bartenders. For this reason, the police chose not to charge individual servers criminally. If they had brought the matter to the courts, the servers could have faced fines of $2,000 and jail terms up to six months of convicted. The aim of the sting is to drive home the point that business owners that clerks must check identification cards, said Norris. Nantucket Restaurant Association President Larry Weldon told the selectman that members of his organization spent the summer neurotically carding patrons. The entire tourism community will end up with a black eye because we tried to do a better job and were judged by a flawed system of evaluating it, Weldon wrote. What the results of this thing has convinced us is that if you want to catch us serving minors, no matter how hard we try, you'll be able to accomplish it. Which is a weird statement, too. Yeah, yeah. Food for here and there was one of the restaurants on the list. My staff is very aware of the problem, said owner Mark Arnold. The rule is, if they don't have wrinkles, we card them. We apparently <laughs> just let one get by. We'll feel, we feel bad about it. Selectman Diane Coombs said she was disappointed that so many businesses were apparently caught red-handed. I thought restaurants had attained better control of their help than to get 25 out of 70, said Coombs. Um, Police said the following businesses sold to the minor officer. The Atlantic Cafe, Cafe Bella Vida, The Brotherhood, The Chicken Box, Easy Street Cafe, Five Corners Market, Food for Here and There, The Harbor House, The Islander, Maya, Maya Carnet Golf Club. Old South Liquors. Oh, shit. Oh, damn. The Pines. The Tavern. Sam's Place. San Catis Golf Club. Vincent's. Chanticleer to Go. Chins. The Lobster Trap. The Rotary Restaurant. The Sea Grill. 
the Sconset Bookstore Cafe, Straight Wharf Restaurant, Straight Wharf Wines and Spirits, the Summer House. Man, Old South yeah. Liquors. And also Dang. Chin's was the Chinese restaurant we touched on a few weeks ago, too. Oh, that's right. Damn. Oh, yeah. The guy's just like, yeah, come, I don't care who you are. Yeah. Man, my my friend uh, Christina was a was a waitress at um, one of those, like, like maybe like uh, Cheesecake Grill like level mm-hmm. restaurant. I forget which one it was exactly. But she had a, she got a job and she was a waitress at a place. And she said like an older couple, like 30-somethings, we're, at, we're sitting at the bar and they both had like a martini and they came to her table. And when they sat at the table, they ordered like an additional drink. And so she didn't card them and she brought them a drink and she got fucking fired because they were like secret, secret shoppers. And like, despite the fact that they were clearly like over 30 and that they like already had alcohol, she still got busted for not asking for their IDs again. That's a, that's such bullshit, man. Such bullshit. So was the cop, that was part of the narc was he, they were they underage they were 20 years old okay i made note of the number one song of this week in the number one movie oh great adore me more by color me bad was the number one song hey it's a it's a friday the 13th movie freddy's dead the final nightmare was the number one movie well one of the worst um nightmare on elm street's films <laughs> Well, that was the news. Yeah, now we're off into season three of Wings with a with a great start, right, Emerson? Really strong episode to start the season <laughs> off with, am I remember, right? Oh boy, not a fan. Well, at least but... it had a really good cold open, right? Um, are you calling the the recap the cold open? <laughs> yeah, previously recap the, on uh, Wings, an yeah. episode I enjoyed. I was like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> I, but also, I think the phone call is part of the cold open. That's true. They do, um, which I, that's not really a cold open because that violates all your rules of cold opens. It's like straight off into the plot and it's not particularly funny. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's not cold either because we had, we got a previously on and then we, uh, well, no, I guess it is. What am I saying? Well, no, it's not cold because uh, Joe is has a hot body in the, under the sheets with a with his lover. Mm hmm. Yeah, so we, this episode, as if you recall from the previous season, uh, Helen went to New York City to pursue her cello career after she and Joe had a big explosive fight. Mm-hmm. She punctured his uh, airplane tire. He cut all the strings in her cello. Yeah, they like were squirting fire extinguisher foam and uh, grease. They were squirting, yeah. They're squirting. <laughs> But yeah, this, so this this one starts off and uh, Joe's in bed. He gets a phone call and it's Helen. Yeah. Oh, we also see, we see 10 months later. Mm-hmm. It's been, and apparently it's been 10 months since these two spoke. But only like six months in TV time. Which is kind of weird, right? I don't know why they chose to make it 10 months. Yeah. And like, apparently like they haven't said anything to each other since basically saying, I love you to each other at like that chain link fence. Mm-hmm. Leading yeah. to the runway. That's just another reminder they didn't have cell phones then, or email for that matter. So it's like, if Helen didn't give Joe her new number, no way to reach her, basically. Right. And so they've moved on. Joe, uh, like, she calls Joe. They're, they have a conversation. He doesn't know who it is at first. And, you know, they realize it's Helen. Then he's like, well, it's three in the morning. And the first laugh, I guess, is... uh. 
when she says, did I wake you? And he says, no. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously she did. <laughs> yeah, she's calling at the witching hour. And who could mistake Helen's voice? Right. Yeah. yeah, but I guess he was a little sleepy, sleepy Joe. Um, and he snubs her because uh, she goes, I really miss talking to you, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, been a long time. 100%. Like, if if my girlfriend just took off and then 10 months later, she's like, what's up? I'd be like, oh, hi. Yeah. I like. I thought that we kind of stopped doing this because, you know, you clearly like, you know, you yeah. didn't bother to follow up or make a, any kind of effort whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be my my major feel through the whole episode, Jared. Hey, I I kind of agree with you. It's um, but then we get the reveal when he hangs up the phone. Uh, they leave kind of on a on a somber note. It wasn't it was an awkward conversation. And then we get the reveal that Joe is in bed with another woman. Mm-hmm. She she asks him who is it, and he just replies, "Nobody you know, honey. Go back to sleep." But we didn't get like what what I would have liked is like a, an audience like ooh yeah there was but it, I feel we're... like we didn't the show just didn't earn it. <laughs> I think we got a inverse ooh because they got it was kind of like the oh oh. Joe, who's that? <laughs> Nobody to sleep. I think the problem is is the audience knew what the reveal was going to be. Oh yeah, I we both knew right? You knew yeah, and yeah. um. But, you know, the audience, they see the stagecraft of the actors coming to the set and stuff, I'm sure. So, it's like, you can't surprise them on that reveal, even if it wasn't so obvious and that the audience at home would, wouldn't be surprised. But, yeah, the uh, it was an awkward moment. So, yeah, you're not really going to get a, a woo from the audience. Mm-hmm. We, we presume the uh, in-studio audience still loves Helen and Joe together. Yeah, why? <laughs> I don't know. I, I like them together a lot more, I think, than you did last mm-hmm. season, Jared. Yeah. But then, like, as soon as that last episode of the last season ended, I was like, yeah, they should never be a couple again. It seemed like even when they were together, they still stayed. Like, I feel like they had a very kind of uh, immature relationship. I feel like they, they each stayed at their own places or whatever. But I got the sense with this woman being in bed with Joe on a work night. I I feel like almost like this is a more mature relationship he has now. She's staying over at his house, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe they even live together. Who knows? Um, yeah, we'll find out. Do we even rate this as a cold open? Oh, I, it's not even a cold open. It's just like, I mean, okay, yeah. let's rate it as a cold open. It's a zero. Yeah, I was gonna say it gets like a flat line, like a not like like an NA and not applicable. I feel like. Or it gets like you're like a hotshot pilot and you do like a tricky maneuver that um, makes the enemies see you and the enemies fire on you and like kill everyone in your flight squad. So when you land, like the Admiral rips the stripes off your off your uh, flight jacket. Okay. What if what about you're a cartoon beagle and you're on top of a doghouse and you're flying <laughs> against the Red Baron? <laughs> well, I give it. I'm going to give it um, four stripes because like when Gail rolls over, you get to see her boobs. And like, that's the first time I've ever seen that. And like in a, on a sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. And she yeah, goes, oops, yeah. oops, my boobs. And she goes, both of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then Joe goes here, let me make some more rooms for your boobs. And then he pulls the thing down and you see his, his boner. 
<laughs> yeah, first time I think that too on a, like a TV sitcom. Yeah, very brave. And he goes, he goes, he goes, all of it, all of it. <laughs> one, one, only one of the, only one of them, but all of it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how the website Mister Skin was invented. <laughs> yeah. Do you prefer Mister Skin or Mrs. Kin? <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Kin is like a website that like has all the stats on films and TV shows that have siblings and, and fathers and daughters acting oh together. God. That's really funny, actually. It's like <laughs> it's like a pen pen island. In in this season two, episode fifteen of Arrested Development, you can see Justine Bateman playing a love interest to Justin Bateman. In actuality, in real life, these two are brother and sister. Yeah, if you if you dude, don't you know that if you capitalize the K, you get Mrs. Kin, but if you capitalize the S, you get Mr. Skin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, d- dad, I didn't mean to go to this website. I was trying to go to Mrs. Kin. <laughs> it's not my it's not my fault. Tony tricked me. <laughs> okay. So first scene, we're at the airport, and um, Faye, we start off with the total Faye-ism. Terrible. They think that that the writers of this episode were like, you know what America's been missing is Faye saying some stuff. It, and this isn't like even one of the best versions of this joke. I don't even I don't even remember what it was, but yeah, that's how they open. Yeah, that's how they run out of the gate of season three. So it was a it was a bummer. I was gonna say like, what did something happen between seasons? Like, did they lose some of their creative forces because they change director? Mm-hmm. We have the same creators, but it looks like Dave Dave Hackle, and you said that he previously had written like Murder She Roast, right? Yeah, she, he's he's written some good stuff. Maybe it's a case of just like being forced to. Um, work around the, the confines of like a season opener after like a really terrible cliffhanger. Yes. It's like very difficult maybe to like find, you know, like, yeah. In a macro sense, the Helen and Joe relationship is being determined by people outside of the creative team of wings. Like I'm sure the actors have some say in it. I'm sure the studio, the television executives probably have some say of it in it too. Like mm-hmm. where they want to centralize this Helen and Joe dynamic. So I'm sure that the writers and director and the whole creative team behind the show was forced in some way to deal with the Helen and Joe relationship. And it's like, how do they make the the old will they won't they trope kind of a little fresher is you can have them have this rocky relationship where it's kind of on again, off again. So you know, I feel like their hands were probably constrained somewhat that they had to have a break up and make up and break up kind of dynamic between them. But mm-hmm. as we've covered, I'm I'm not the biggest like fan of the Helen Joe relationship. I was happy when they broke up. Yes, they're not coming back together in this season opener, but it's to to kind of dwell on this this relationship from the outset of the season. I wasn't. I wasn't primed to enjoy this episode. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So, so yeah, Faye talks about um, 
there's a there's a you meeting newcomers in that I might want to take them to our whaling museum where you can see a whale's jawbone nearly two stories high. You'd think that a fishbone that big would smell bad, but it doesn't. Yeah, it's not funny. Yeah, no, it's just like no, we've all been to museums. We know that the bones don't stink. Mm-hmm. I've seen dinosaur bones, lady. If dinosaur bones don't stink, a fish bone's not going to stink. Yeah, dude, I saw a dinosaur bone once. I saw all of, all one of it, the whole thing. <laughs> plus, plus, I saw two dinosaur boobs. <laughs> so, um, so then after she says that, potential VIP of the episode, Lola walks in yes. carrying a thermos. With so, question for you: Do you think that he has long hair because of Tombstone? Oh, was he in Tombstone? He was in Tombstone, which doesn't release I for forgot. a couple of years. But I, I wonder if it had been filming already at this point. That could be. Yeah, I don't. Whatever the reason, I really like that long hair. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Actually, no, his hair in Tombstone isn't even that long. I'm looking at it now. Okay. Yeah, his hair in Tombstone almost looks like like a brother on Home Improvement. <laughs> maybe he grew his hair that long for um, Spider-Man 3, maybe? That's way later. <laughs> <I know> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And his hair is like short in that movie, too. Anyway. I know. It was um, for Sideways. It was for Sideways. Oh, I love Sideways so much. <laughs> yeah, he's great in that. Versus he's sideways. so good. It's so good. Um, so, yeah. And, like, we find out that, like, basically no one's been making coffee since Helen's been gone. Which I thought they were going to have a fill-in for Helen's count. She said she found someone to, like, work the counter for her. But... Um, Did she say that at the end of last episode? Yeah, but I in this whole episode, you it just looks like it's shut down. You don't see anyone running. Which, yeah. I can't imagine an airport would really put up with that when the one kind of food service area, they just, 100%. the owner, whoever owns it just decides not to operate it anymore. They'd be like, no, we're going to take away your license and give it to someone else or, so, or something. And then, and yeah. also for all her lamenting in this episode about how she's broke, it's like, well, you do kind of have this one business you can turn the lights on and it, it'll, it'll make money for you, you know? Yeah. Also, I think that would have been, to me, a more interesting plot line is if she had to fight for her job back or if, like, the new counter person was, like, really incompetent and people were just, like, begging begging her to come back. I that, would have pref- been, that would have been so much better than this, yeah. I would have way preferred that. Yes. Yeah. Like, let yeah. her come back. Because the, the fact that she's apparently coming back uh, as we'll see later, like only for Joe on like the pretense that they might still have like a salvageable relationship mm-hmm. is really like, I don't like, I don't like that um, being given to her as like a character. Yeah. Like I like, I like her character. I like grew to like really like her character over the first two seasons. And mm-hmm. I don't want to see this kind of aspect put on her. Yeah. Like I feel like this isn't true to who, to the Helen that I've come to know. Yeah, and I, I'm with you. I really like Helen, except for I just don't like this Helen Joe relationship. And I think her worst moments and Joe's worst moments have been in uh, stories centered around the conflict between them, or like around this idea that they somehow like like deserve that they like belong to to what's the word <laughs> they belong with each other, belong with yeah. each other. Yeah, that they're compatible. Yeah. And so uh, what are you gonna say? I was just gonna say, and also. Roy and Faye and Brian, they would not put up with bad coffee for 10 months. Number one, yeah, Brian would just go back there and make a pot. He has never had any problem 
Um, mm-hmm. And there's also a coffee pot in the hangar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure Roy probably has a coffee pot. You know, Roy's got like an espresso machine. He's got some gourmand bullshit back there where he's like, what I, what I, what I do is I put like a tiny bit of paprika because the, it counteracts like the, the sour tones of the coffee. And like, he's got it all figured mm-hmm. out. But yeah. Here we have Lowell with a thermos and like both, is it Faye and Roy? Yes. Are super stoked. Oh, great. I've had a great cup of coffee since Helen left 10 <laughs> months ago. <laughs> And I love like like so yeah Lowell's talking about like the process he goes through. He Lowell's kind of pulling a Roy here. Ah, uh, this is no ordinary coffee. This is a special blend from a very small plantation on the south side of the Kona Coast. Sounds wonderful. Can we try it? Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, I think you're gonna enjoy this. I examine each bean individually for color and texture, and grind them all, and I brew with only bottled water. That's a key. Of yeah, like all this stuff, and basically he he's examined every aspect of it except he didn't use a filter. <laughs> yeah, and, and so yeah, they spit the coffee out. <laughs> that was a funny moment. Yeah, and Roy, Lowell, you have the IQ of a ripe summer squash. <laughs> Just what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> and I love Faye come out, kind of re, like <laughs> defending Pret- Roy. She says, like, it's the smartest of all the vegetables or something. Oh, thanks, Roy. <laughs> yeah, and that, that saves Lowell's ego. And then we have potential, potential VIP of the episode, uh, Brian coming in off the plane mm-hmm. with the priest. And they're having a conversation about the idea that you can confess all your sins right before you die and you'll be fully forgiven and you can go to, you can go to heaven. Yeah, I, I do like how, how he uh, cuts the priest off. Once he gets the information he wants. <laughs> right, right, right. I think I found a loophole in the whole heaven and hell thing. That's fun. And so, and then Joe jumps on Brian and he wants to get his advice. Basically, Joe wants Brian to give him the okay that like, it's okay not to tell Helen yeah. that he's in a relationship. Mm-hmm. So Joe's already being like a little, little weird about it, being a little shitty. And he's had time to think about it since the, since the previous night. And Brian is feeling flattered, like, oh, Joe's coming to me for advice. But then <laughs> it's revealed that Joe has previously asked Lowell, Faye, and Roy. I love the hierarchy, too, because it's, it's Faye first. Like, Faye's, like, Faye comes up and she goes, I've been thinking about this. And he's like, you asked Faye? And she goes, like, well, what do you, how do you think I feel? He asked Lowell before me. And he's like, <laughs> Lowell? And then <laughs> Roy comes up and he's like, I've been thinking about this whole thing. And they're like, mm-hmm. what, Roy? Roy uh, says, what Helen doesn't know won't hurt her. An ignorant broad's a happy broad. Is that your PC violation? Yeah, Roy, Roy with the broad strokes there. Yep. I, I wrote like ignorant broad as a happy broad. That's a for sure PC violation, but I mm. do like the way that they play it. Like yeah. where Brian picks up the phone and he goes, hello, uh, national organization for women. <laughs> I have a man here who needs to be neutered. Yes. <laughs> I like that. They, they like immediately kind of like call Roy out on it, but yeah, it's pretty shitty that he makes that comment. And um, can we do Brian's tie report? Um, this is a repeat, right? Yeah, and I think it was actually in the last episode, if not the last one, it was the one prior. It's that, you know, um pastelly, feathery, wispy kind of one. Well, did you notice that everybody's wearing the same outfit they were wearing in the last episode? 
You're right. Roy Roy has that kind of red diamond tie, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And Helen's wearing the um, the cocktail waitress at a strip club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Antonio comes in with no shirt on. Uh-huh. Hey, I'm a taxi here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but that Roy Roy and um Brian both have the same tie at least. I think you're right actually. I I, I was kind of making a joke, but I think they actually might be. It says 10 months later, but both um the last episode of the last season and this opener both take place Friday the 13th uh, yeah. Yeah. of June, right? Yeah, super spooky. Yeah, and the craziest thing is that how every single character in Wings is named Jason. Yes. Yeah. Last name Voorhees, yeah. but And that's the only tie, I think, right? I think so, yeah. Like, when he goes to the strip club in the next scene, he's, is he just wearing like a, like a red button-up? I think I remember a Hawaiian shirt, but I could be mistaken. Oh, he, he's got like a jacket over like a um over like a shirt. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and then fashion-wise, beside that, beside Brian and Roy, uh, I guess Helen's outfit. Yeah, you're right. Brian's wearing like like an open Hawaiian shirt under a leather jacket over like a yellow t-shirt yeah. or something. Yeah. You know, New York streetwear kind of kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I think Faye's wearing just kind of standard a blouse. Yeah. Gail's got like a pretty normal, like '90s fashiony. Joe's got has like tucked in shirts. You know, for a lackluster episode, it's a lackluster on the fashion tip as well. Yes. So, basically, like who somebody calls out Joe, or maybe it might be Brian that calls him out. He's like just looking. He's desperate to have someone that agrees with him to like not tell Helen about Gail. And Brian's like, normally I would agree with you, but this is kind of Helen. Yeah, you know, like their old friend. Jeez, Brian, I was kind of counting on you to tell me to do the Weasley thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice that like he holds her like in high regard, you know. Brian's demonstrated over and over that in certain instances he he can be the most emotionally mature person. Yes, hundred percent. I like I like finding out that Helen's been sending fake birthday cards. Still. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because Brian Joe's like, well, you know, I'd love to contact her, but I don't know her phone number, her address. Oh, I have it, Joe. So great, he uh, he gets Helen's address from Joe. From Faye. From Faye. Joe gets yeah. Helen's address from Faye, and yes. Brian convinces Joe to go to New York the next day, Friday the thirteenth, uh, to meet Helen. <laughs> <laughs> Just every episode is for now on is, is always going to be Friday the thirteenth. Yeah. So the, yeah, the next scene we're in New York City. Yeah, with it, which is, is, you know, this is a pretty cool set. I don't know. It is. Um, I'm trying. I was trying to figure out like where they might have recycled it from, what other contemporary kind of NBC shows uh, might be using it, but I don't know. Yeah, it, it reminded me of like great movie but terrible sets, kind of, and to some regard, Eyes Wide Shut. It kind of reminded me of um, hmm. the Eyes Wide Shut sets, but it was like more populated and looked lived in and they did really well with like all the extras and everything. I thought they did great with, um, you know, the scenery for that, for the external New York set. It could have been a leftover set from cop rock. Yes. Yes. It could have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could have been like a leftover set from uh secret of the use. Yeah. Yeah. I could see the turtles in there. Mm-hmm. With the live nude nudes. <laughs> <laughs> the live nudes nudes. Yeah, so uh, basically, um, Brian and Joe are following the address given to them by Helen's Helen's landlord. Uh, yeah, or Helen's or building manager. Yeah. Wait. Uh, 
No, that was her neighbor. The manager was a guy hosing the chalk outline on the front steps. <laughs> that was uh, that's Brian's line, painting a picture uh, of yeah, Helen's living conditions. Yeah, yeah, and you know, this is like the pre-Giuliani New York, right? So this is like when it was still like a little bit rougher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When Times Square is like probably a place where you might get mugged or pickpocketed yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and New York is still a place that resonates for a lot of americans as somewhere scary even though that may may not be the case you know yeah i mean i think people feel that way about los angeles as well and it's really they're both just such big cities that if you know where you're going you don't really have to worry plus even if you don't know where you're going it's not like every single person that walks past uh you know like an intersection is gonna get like attacked that's these are mostly civilized places that just happen to like have like a higher maybe concentration of like whatever like disputes between two two like mm-hmm. factions or whatever or like yeah like a higher number of of people who are like addicts or i yeah. don't know i'm trying not to, to not be just like totally insensitive about these poor people who are the struggling to survive cities are where things happen you know and mm-hmm. yeah they might have a slightly higher rate of crime than some other locations and big city people think that the the sticks are terrifying, you know. Oh yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and like, you know, like late at night in your haunted house and your twisted farmer neighbor is gonna yeah come over and murder your cow. <laughs> children coming out of the corn. Yeah, stay in that corn, children. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the children, they're coming out of the corn. No, run for your life. Well. The address takes them to a strip club. Yes. And Joe is like, they're both kind of like, there's no way that she would work here. So this must be a mistake. But Brian's like, well, why don't we go inside, sit down and berate ourselves for ever thinking yeah. such a thing? Because Brian just wants to like go in and see some live new yeah. nudes. <laughs> <laughs> and so does yeah. Joe. Joe's like, well, uh, I could use a soda, but you know, he obviously wants to see mm-hmm. some legs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like... It's been it's been twenty four hours since I saw Gail's boobs. I got to see some boobs. <laughs> yeah, both both oh, of them. I saw, I saw two two yesterday. Two, a pair, <laughs> a, an even number of boobs. I, I hope I hope there I hope there's a set several sets of boobs in here. <laughs> oh, total recall. No, 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 no. no, no. That's, no. that's that's not that's not the right number. Three that's that's not, not a number. I'm not happy. No, no, no. Three's not good. Three's not good. It's gotta be two. It's gotta be two. <laughs> two or four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah cow, cows cows haven't figured out <laughs> so i love i love brian stopping outside the sign and saying totally nude nudes i mean that that's the stupidest sign i ever well what the hell is a nude nude and joe's like i just found out hurry i also thought that there might be some like a moment where like the door guy was gonna like make a comment to brian yeah don't, don't just dial their buddy yeah you know? yeah Stupidest sign, huh? My grandfather designed that sign. <laughs> they go in the strip club, yeah. They go in. Well, no, we get a we we see a lot of gams. No, no boobs. We do. It's like we see a camera angle that like cuts off just like like below the butt cheek. I think. Yeah, right? they locked that camera down. We're like, uh huh. Yeah, and Brian and Joe come in acting like they've never been in a strip club before. Just like, uh-huh. Like a lot of comments about, yeah. oh, it's a dive. It's a, and it just looks like every, you know, strip club set in every movie ever. Yeah. Just a little bit more like low rent. Yeah. 
it's like a, a step up down from like a Beverly Hills cop strip club. That's exactly the one I was thinking of. Because <laughs> those are such fun scenes. Eddie Murphy sitting there smiling while like Judge, Re- Judge Reinhold and uh, that's and that scene's so good with like Axel Foley's like really eating up the scenery, loving himself, but then also is the one who like susses out all the danger and like disarms someone. Yes, yeah. He's like uh he's more street smart, whereas those other guys are more like by the yeah. books. Yeah. Great movie. Another another uh, actually TV show with the great strip club scene is Miami Vice, the pilot. Ooh, it's when they introduced uh, Tubbs. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's in a strip club, and I think it's the song "Why Do I Feel Like Somebody's Watching yeah. Me." But he's just like like lip syncing with it while it plays, and it's like just kind of fog machine going. Oh, man, it's really wonderful. Yeah. That's a great. Yeah, show. I gotta wa- I gotta go back and watch that. Did we hear any music? I'm trying to... I can't recall hearing music, but we must have. I don't know. Yeah, give me a second. I I have it uh, here. This week at Kmart, we have discounts. <laughs> <laughs> it really kind of has like the sound, like a music-y type sound. Yeah, that sound. sounded like stock music-ass music. Beep, boop, beep, boop. Beep, boop, 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 boop. ain't it. That ain't yeah. it. Before long, they um, try to order a drink, tap a woman on the shoulder, and uh-oh, it's Helen. She works Helen. in a strip club. Yep. And then she screams. They get a like, pretty... I thought it was a pretty fun mm-hmm. moment, like a reconnect. Like, they haven't seen each other in 10 months. Oh, by the way, I had this thought. I, I guess I can just mention it real quick, but it would have been kind of cool to, like, get a few episodes without her. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, like, like like let's start season two or season three, where like we see Joe maybe struggling, and we actually do get like a sense that he misses yeah. her. I'm assuming that just like didn't work with like the contracts and stuff. Like, yeah, you can't be a star of a show and then not be on it. I guess. Excuse me. Now you don't. You do not put Crystal Bernard off the call. Yeah. I'm number two or four or no three. I I don't like odd numbers. <laughs> That's why I have two boobs. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think it was like a bit of like a cop out to have her be a waitress in the bar. Like one hand, like she's shown in the past that she's like sex positive and stuff. Yeah, she like she sexed up to like uh, for that audition. Like if the show wanted to do something bold, they could say like exo- exotic dancers are people too, and it's like mm-hmm. it's a legitimate like way to work, and a lot of women work this way, and. I think they like pull the punch by having her just be a waitress there. And then they still get in like, you know, unnecessary jokes at like just the nature of, of strip clubs. And you know, you're, you're seeing like Brian put as he's kind of half-heartedly listening to the conversation between Joe and Helen, he's putting dollars and, and women's underwear and stuff. He licks a dollar bill and sticks it to a woman's yeah, thigh. Nasty. So nasty. That was like my, the, my gross. Like, you don't, I, you should never lick money. Yeah. Oh my God. That money has been so many places. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like they just used the strip club setting as a way to like show Helen hitting rock bottom. But at some point she makes a point where like, oh, Hey, the money's good and the girls are nice and this and that. But it's like, I think if you really wanted I mean, to make, I meet people from out of town, yeah, if you wanted to make a bold choice, have her just say she's a dancer in the club, you know, why not? I I agree with you. I agree with you. But in 1991, that truly would <laughs> never have flied on like network TV. And I think that like they would have ended up with like people like picketing 
Yeah. Like, I think that like that like it really is like a sign of the time that I think that like that would not have been okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like people were barely able to say bitch yeah. or ass on TV. Yeah. Having like one of your like your one of your like main protagonist love interests. Wait, I'm, wait, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that she's she is a main protagonist yeah. and a love interest mm-hmm. both. And so, I I just don't think that they could have gotten away with it. But I I truly I would have loved to see that. That would have been like a way more interesting take. We are talking an era though too, where like Pretty Woman is one of the most popular movies. You know. You mean that 1.5 star rated uh, Boston Globe <laughs> <Yes>. movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rega- regardless of whether they could have pulled it off or not, I feel like if you're going to inject that element into the Wings universe, just make a bold swing and have her be a dancer or or go with some other job. Like, I don't know. She's a, a shit shoveler or something. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. And then um, Joe... Uh, berates her like can't you get a job playing cello and uh helen said oh i had a job last month that was the sound of pain in a headache commercial and like (laughs) yeah we're supposed to infer that's like that means she's doing terribly in her career but you know commercial work actually pays really well and i I bet like that check from that commercial in in real life would have amounted more than to more than like a year of her lunch counter profits. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's like the, uh, that joke is undercut. Cause I'm like, that seems like that would actually be, you know, maybe it wouldn't fulfill her artistically, but it probably would have been a good paycheck. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as kind of gross as it was, I did laugh when, when Brian asked Joe and an aside, if he has any singles. And <laughs> oh yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. He's just like a, He's agreeing that it's a bad place to be. And he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, And I do like her sarcastic comment. Like when he's like, you're, you're going to be a concert musician. And she goes, well, Joe, I got an offer from the New York Philharmonic, but I figured it'd be more fi- fulfilling to hawk drinks in a skin palace. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like what Crystal Barnard is great at. Like she delivers lines like that so, so perfectly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's very articulate and she's got like a really great delivery. Yeah. She talks real fast. She's got a little bit of chipmunk in her. <laughs> Are you calling Joe a chipmunk? No, uh, uh, hey, you're right. But, uh, but Joe doesn't have uh, the balls to kind of tell her about Gail. And as as Helen drops the act of pretending to be happy, she breaks down. And Right. He's, he's about to tell her again. Mm-hmm. And she breaks down. Like He's like, yeah, because he does the whole thing where he's like, well... Look, Helen, if you're happy, I'm happy. Look, Helen, the uh, the reason I came here, he starts to tell her, and then she goes, look at me, Joe. I gave her to make beautiful music, and I am serving makers and hot pants. I'm a mess. I'm broke. And I hate it here. Boilermaker is a... it's So sometimes it's a shot of whiskey followed by a beer, um, and other times it's like whiskey in beer. So you pu- you take a shot of whiskey, you pour it into beer, and then you drink the beer with the whiskey inside, and that's considered a Boilermaker. Walter Matthau's character in the original Bad News Bears, his nickname is Boilermaker, and like his introduction is he pulls in, pulls up to a um, a little league park, and he pulls out a beer, cracks what peels the top off because this is like that's how beer cans were uh, back then. Pours pours out like a couple sips. Pour, like opens up a whiskey bottle, pours that to the top, and then drinks yeah. that. 
And me, I like Boilermakers are my favorite drink. Mm -hmm. Like if a bar offers a Boilermaker, but I want it to be like a shot of whiskey and a beer. Like I like, I want to chase a shot of whiskey with a beer. And like, I love that like the Boilermaker is like the traditional sleazy dive drink. Yeah. Which might be what appeals to me about it, that it is this kind of like really divey drink. But also like, it is like it's so interesting to me that that's the kind of like the the it's, it's it comes up yes. a lot. If you start looking for it, you'll see it in a lot of movies where like when a character is like having like a hard time, you'll see them with like a shot and a uh-huh. beer. Um, if you start looking for it, you'll start seeing it everywhere. And if you out there have seen Boilermakers <laughs> in your favorite movies TV shows, email us at wingsnutspodcast at gmail.com. And we'll post them up to boilermaker.tumblr.com. And Ooh, yeah, no, that's yeah. my go-to too, because there's a there's a certain economy to it. You don't want to make too many trips up to the bar, and so it's like easy to just get like yeah, yeah, a whiskey and a beer. My favorite bars will will have a Boilermaker special too, where it's like ten to twelve dollars for the shot and yes. the beer. And there was um, there is a bar in in Echo Park called the Gold Room. Yeah, at one point, this is like the early two thousands, maybe mid two thousands. They uh, they had a special where it was a shot of tequila a can of tecate and then two tacos for four dollars wow and the tacos were good they were like standard you know taco stand tacos that's great yeah and so helen breaks down and brian and joe are going to take her home but Mm -hmm. then that's when we get the um the this the heard but unseen guest star saying hey sweet cakes how about some service over here Mm-hmm. And um, Brian kind of protects her by joking and pretending the guy's talking to him. Hey, sweet cakes, how about some service over here? Uh, I don't work here and don't call me sweet cakes. And Helen kind of pointedly will ask Joe if he wants her to come back and Joe, Joe says yes, but Brian points out that Joe did not tell her about Gail. There is like a lot... Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this is going to be... Um... I I think that like you can't Helen can't just expect to fall back into like a relationship with Joe after not even contacting him for ten months. Yes, and I guess I guess the idea behind this interaction in this scene is supposed to like indicate to us as the viewers that Joe is agreeing to to like to that, you know? Yeah, but I don't I don't think that he should be expected to actually like. I don't think that he is. He's, you know, he's very clearly saying like, I already said that, didn't I? But he's not saying like, yeah. And then when we, when we get back, we will also be boyfriend and girlfriend again. Yeah. He's saying like, we want you to come back because they're, they were friends way longer than they were love, brief lovers. Yeah. And Brian and Joe did come together. And like, I feel like, you know, maybe it would have been helpful if Brian took the lead on that conversation more than Joe did. And like, just, yeah instead of just like looking at the dancers. But I, I also didn't feel like from that brief conversation that either of them should have any expectation of the relationship jumping right back into the relationship. But at the same time, it would have been super easy for Joe to say like, Oh, Hey, wait a second. Yeah. I want you to come back and you know, we really want to help you, but just so you know, I have been seeing someone he could have just been. Yeah. That would have been, of course. I mean, that's what I think. You know, a real adult would do someone like gail would definitely do that 
Yeah, goddamn Gale. Love Gale. Mm-hmm. This was a, a pretty fun scene. Yeah, like it was nice yeah. seeing like our wings, our wings crew uh, in a strip club <laughs> in, <New> York, <laughs> in a in New sleazy York. New York City, like very scuzzy. Yeah, playing, playing Kmart uh, <laughs> loop music. We're in the high point of of the episode, I think. So then the final scene, um, we're back at the airport, and uh, I love like. Is Brian announced like, "Hey, we're back! Look what we brought!" And <laughs> I think Faye says, "Oh God, I hope not another cat's shirt." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, I love—I forgot that about um, the end of the last scene when Brian points out, like, he's like, "I'm pretty sure I didn't hear you say anything about Gail." Joe's like, "Well, I'll tell her when I get back there." And uh, Brian goes, "That's a great idea." And when you when you're through, send my clothes and forward my mail. I'm staying here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Brian is in seventh heaven. Yeah, when they're back in the airport, it seems like the next day or the next morning. Um, Helen like jumps up. Everyone is like so excited to see Helen, and she jumps up on the chair to make like a general announcement. Mm-hmm. And I just found it funny that everyone is like enthralled with what she has to say. And like people are like excited to have her back, including like cu- just j- customers to the airport who you presume have never even met her before. Yes. I was going to say <laughs> the same thing because I just had that, that thing up. Yeah. It's like you see Roy, Brian, Joe, uh, Faye, Lol, but you also see like, like crew members, I guess Aeromass. They, yeah. they would probably know. They would know her actually. You see the redhead from Aeromass. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, just random customers who <laughs> like, why would they care? Oh, I did want to mention too. Like before they walked over to greet Helen, the blocking was, and this is where you the show was really missing the gnome pitlick touch. Mm-hmm. The blocking of Helen, Faye, and I'm sorry, Lowell, Faye, and Roy over at the table was so weird because they were all in the exact same position that they were in the first scene, which took place like two days prior. Like in the coffee thermos scene? Yeah, where Faye was sitting on the left, Lowell was standing in the middle, and Roy was sitting down on the right. And it made me even like look like, are they in the same wardrobe? But no, they are wearing a different wardrobe. And there's just like a weird... It looks like a takeout lunch on the counter and they're and I'm like, what are they it was just really awkward that they positioned them all in the exact same position as they were in the previous scene. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it now. I think it's phase diaper. <laughs> yeah, phase di phase big diaper on the <laughs> on the table. <laughs> or maybe I mean it could be Roy's diaper. Maybe he's like an adult baby. That's one I of think, his one of his kinks. I think they've been sharing a diaper. <laughs> it's your turn today, Faye. And they were telling they were telling Lowell, no, that's just one day. <laughs> no, Lowell, you would think that's a week, but uh, that's just a day. Yes, sir. No, sir. I'm not gonna do <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you it's a week. <laughs> well, maybe they're trying to teach Lowell how to filter coffee. Maybe? Yeah. I another one of the big laughs I got is like Helen making a general announcement about her time in New York. It was terrible. And she doesn't want any questions. And then Lowell pipes up. It was the absolute low point of my existence. And I don't want to ever, 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 ever talk about that city again. Okay? Any questions? Did you see any good shows? That was probably my biggest laugh of the whole episode. Uh, Lowell reveals uh, he's been borrowing Helen's Jeep. And so Mm -hmm. he's going to gas it up for her. But he, like, asks her if 
it's if it smelled like a dead sea otter when she gave it to him which what happened probably a sea otter died right yeah and he threw it in the jeep yeah so then like he has a moment of pause of like oh oh better go clean that and helen is immediately like comfortable back home and she goes to thank joan she gives him like a hug and then gail walks in and uh, that was a, I thought that was a funny, like, physical moment where, like, Joe pushes her back. Yeah, he, like, shoves her away. Yeah. Which beginning, thus begins the theme of uh, domestic assault. Mm-hmm. Helen storms out into Joe's office, and Joe stutters and stammers, which, mm-hmm. if you're pissed at Joe over something, is running into his office the wisest course of action. Yeah. Were I her, I would have stormed into the uh kitchen or something but then we um get a big talk in the the office and we find out that helen oh she well, she punches joe in the gut first of all and the i did not like that and the studio no. audience loved it they were cracking up but um in the last episode it was kind of when they were wrestling and fighting in the hangar it was bordering on kind of like icky kind of violence but there was something heightened about it. It was kind of more slapsticky, so mm-hmm. it's it's sold to me. But like this, like a sucker punch to the gut. In certain eras, you know, violence in general was you know found. You know, that you go back far enough. There's movies and there's studio comedies where men are just slapping women around, and it's supposed to be funny. And um, but the reverse, even to this day, like I think it's supposed to be funny when a woman a woman can hit a guy in something and it's sold as humor, but yeah. it's like, to me, it's like just not funny and, and it doesn't sell as humor. And like, to the extent that it might be humorous is like just a super low, easy, easy joke kind of. So I was like thinking about this a lot earlier because like the show's trying to have it two ways. The show has like, I think you and I, uh, our favorite episode is, is like the, um, Wait, was it the was it the like one where Brian pops up in the back seat at the end, mm-hmm. where it gets like really like oh no our favorite I think was the one where the, Brian's running the airport yeah yeah because that gets like real like kind of zany and slapsticky and like you know there's like different there's like a marching band coming in and there's like the inspector there and there's like just like all this like, kind of wacky stakes mm-hmm. that that really they play and like they give it a really light touch and it doesn't feel like. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, it doesn't feel like this is actually going to have any like real effect on their lives. Uh-huh. But this one feels like it's trying to have it both ways where it's like they're trying to have like these sort of like uh, slapsticky kind of like punching him. But it's funny moment. Yeah. At the same time as like playing to like the, tr- the emotional truths of like a relationship that's falling apart. Yeah. And I just don't think that it works. But I felt that from the last episode as well. Tone is just such a difficult thing to pull off. And like, yeah, the tone of this episode, I wasn't open to like seeing like violence in a couple as, as funny. Hey, get, get ready. Uh, get ready, listeners. We're getting the, the funky cold message from Tone Loke over here. <laughs> we all know how he feels about Tone. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, the tone, Tone's got to like, Tone's got to mean something. But Helen's pissed. Mm-hmm. They argue back and forth about it. I mean, Joe makes some good points. You know, she he didn't hear a word for her from 10 months. And mm-hmm. so he started dating someone, you know? Yeah, 100%. I think a week. 
if you don't hear from someone for a fucking week, I think you can assume that like they've moved on. Yeah. And just like be like, well, I like really had a great time with that person, but I can't, you know, that's equally insane to like sit there at your windowsill for 10 long months, hoping that the person's going to like somehow return to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was also trying to imagine like if the roles were reversed if like if it was Joe that went to New York for 10 months and he comes back expecting Helen to like be waiting for him yeah I think that would be equally insane and it would feel like when when we get to the next part where like yeah if he slapped her that would just feel like like a, a domestic abuse like a truly domestic abuse movie yeah yeah and if if he then destroyed her office, that would feel like <laughs> like Cape Fear. Reverse the roles here, and it would just seem like Joe's a psychotic, abusive, scary person. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, granted, I do think Joe waiting for the perfect time and place was dumb, and he mm-hmm. sh- he should have said something earlier. But hey, we wouldn't have this kind of contrived conflict if he had. But Helen is totally in the wrong in every other way in this like she's wrong to be upset or she's wrong to manifest how she's upset with anger in this way i could get being upset and stung and like running off and crying but resorting to violence is you know it's not cool you know um what would make this episode work for me is if like in a following episode we find out that she's addicted to diet pills (laughs) (laughs) and that explains all of her erratic behavior like you know what she's been doing in New York, why she believes that like after 10 months of like not, not contacting your, you know, who you believe mm-hmm. is your still your boyfriend that you can just return and not, everything will be normal. Dude, I'm with you on that. hundred percent. A very special episode. <laughs> so anyway, I'm scared. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so, so excited. excited. I'm, I'm so scared. So <laughs> Emerson Dibley and Jared Hodgson were available for all roles. We are uh, not members of SAG. Uh, skills, I can horse ride and fence. <laughs> I love like I love those skills. Yeah, I'm. I can do a cartwheel and I can um, cold chug a sixteen ounce beer. <laughs> <laughs> I can tubin throat sing. Um, I can drive. I can drive a jeep through a uh, office set. Yes. So yeah, Gail comes in, and we get a very adult moment. And you know what's what's funny is like, is this also a sign of the times? Like if if we if you and I are watching this in 1991, are we mm-hmm. are are we seeing Gail as like pure obnoxiousness? Like, have things changed this much that like when I when I see Gail come in and like kind of like be you know act as an adult and like talk to like. Helen and Joe and be like, oh, I understand what's going on. Like, I, I know this must yeah. be hard for you. My first thought is like, yes, here is a rational human being that is like, like willing to like address and confront the situation. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if like the audiences at the time saw her more as like a an obnoxious, whatever, like oh yeah, nonsense liberal or something. I don't know. I, I hope not. But um, Helen sure did. Yeah. Like, but um. No, I was, I also thought like, oh, this is, Gail's interesting, but she's kind of a non-character too. That's all they give her, you know, like it probably wasn't a fun role for this actor to play because all she basically does is come in and act adult and, um, which pisses Helen off, you know? Yeah. But I think you're right. Like 
may in in the 90s she may have read as like annoying they dressed her in the uniform of like a, an annoying character like she kind of dressed how lilith dressed on cheers and that's kind of how lilith's character was written mm-hmm. gail is acting adult but i'm like i think a reasonable woman would be a little upset too because i imagine maybe joe told her him and brian were going to new york to find helen you know but she says like uh, Joe's told me everything about you too, but like mm-hmm. I just remember like that first cold open when Joe called when she called Joe and Joe answered, and he told her, "Oh, it's no one you know, honey." You know, yeah. so he so he like okay if he's told her everything about Helen, then he just lied to her, and then now Gail's going on about how Joe believes in in truth and honesty. So I'm like, ah, uh, you know, you know what Joe always says: honesty is the cornerstone of every good relationship. <laughs> Joe's told me everything about you two. Joe? Who's that? Nobody in the room. to sleep. Yeah, I guess there's they're leaving a room for like uh to see that she that Joe might not be as like forthright with her as he seems to have been. I also think that Gail's characters in this episode to serve like this singular purpose and She'll, she'll pro- my guess is she won't be in the next episode or any subsequent episodes. I think she'll be in a few more. I don't think okay. they're gonna just like, wait, like just off screen be like, no. I think that she's gonna like represent like a point of of conflict for Helen. There's gonna be something. I don't know. Oh, fun! I bet you they give her a heel turn. Okay. Okay. They they, they have her pull some maneuver where. It, it allows like the audience to find sympathy with Helen again. Yeah. Cause what's her backstory? Does he say she's an architect or something? Yeah. She has like a summer home in Nantucket. Uh, oh God. Is she a, she's a summer people. Oh my God. Well, some are not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think she, um, she's a, a writer for like architectural digest or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I think that she's uh close friends with, um, Brian's ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, Helen says, oh, okay, so we decided to be adult about this. And uh, Gail leaves. I like I like the detail of her calling Joe Joey as she leaves. Mm-hmm. That's cute. And um, Helen, as soon as she leaves, I hate her. <laughs> yeah. Helen enumerates on how if life is a contest, she tallies the score scorecard and she's losing and Joe's winning. I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. She puts it all on Joe's lap about how shitty her life is, but it's based on choices she made, you know? Yeah, for sure. Helen has no one to blame but herself and she's putting it all on Joe. And I also like, I hate it. She's a freelance writer from Washington DC, by the way. That's, uh, that's who Gail is. Okay. And she has a, she has a house on Nantucket. And yeah, he's kind of serious about her. I also like the way, like, after Helen punches him and he is like keeled over, she goes, oh, come on, I pulled that punch, which is exactly the kind of thing, like, like an abusive husband would say to his wife after he slapped her. Yeah. I didn't slap you that hard. Yeah. You're just overreacting. Helen yeah. is a monster. <laughs> she kind of is, like, in a, in a relationship, at least, you know, because mm-hmm. she has many, her character has many great qualities, but there are people like that in this world who can be. Uh, really cool people but then in relationships they're just terrible just to get back to that point about like um 
it's when she's like it's over you win he says helen it isn't a contest which is like i think the right way to put it and she goes it isn't well let's check the scoreboard like so she's still he's saying it's not a contest but she's insisting that it is Mm -hmm. um and she's the one who last episode 10 months ago totally shit on his job with his one plane and said how you know she was going to new york to chase a dream she she said some fucking hateful shit last time and so yeah i i don't know like there's like no acknowledgement of that but christ she storms out out of the hangar altogether and brian comes in to console joe joe and brian are looking out the empty hangar and then what happens helen starts up her jeep yeah dead out her jeep and uh, yeah drives in i do like the detail that we get to see the cello license plate which we should have known all along that she was a monster she has a telltale red flag having a personalized license plate and a jeep (laughs) but um she's kind of revving the engine helen you know better what are you doing you're not supposed to drive in here and i love um (laughs) when he turns to brian he goes she knows that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Alan, you know I don't allow cars in here. She knows I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and she drives her Jeep into the office set. Well, somebody does. It's clearly not Crystal Bernard. Because <laughs> they keep on cutting. It's some 70-year-old man in a big blonde wig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, drives it right through the set, knocks down the and walls. she backs out. She, she's got a window down and she goes, I don't know about you, but uh, I feel better. And then she turns on the radio yeah. and we hear, I dug my keys into the side of his pretty little soup with that four-wheel drive. Carved my name into his leather seats. <laughs> <laughs> my least favorite fucking karaoke song. Because every every I used to go to karaoke <laughs> nights a lot and every single time some woman would sing this song. Maybe next time he'll mm-hmm. think before he cheats. I've, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is like why I'm single, but I've never been the kind of like ex ex to find like fault in my exes. Like we had a mm-hmm. great time together. Uh, it's it's a bummer that it didn't work out, but like you know, life life goes on, and I don't think that any of them were like vindictive or mean or evil. Like I don't have any like like thoughts of revenge. Yeah, there's no sense in dwelling. I, I feel it's so weird that people have that. I mean, I guess there are like shitty people, but like, but it feels like there are like a lot of people out there that like, f- like when men call their exes a bitch and then women who are yeah. like singing this song at karaoke and just like celebrating the idea of getting a little bit of revenge against someone that like, you know, things just didn't work out with. And it makes them look shitty too, because you're singing about how terrible and shitty this dude was but hey stupid you loved that hey, don't call her stupid point, dude so <laughs> you're kind of a you're kind of like a stupid <laughs> bitch you know <laughs> brian had a, a good joke to cap it off though uh mm-hmm. my hey my lunch was in there <laughs> he says it just like Roddy danger field <laughs> oh, hey hey my lunch was in here hey no no respect oh come on Run right over my lunch with the Wrangler. Oh, jeez. It's supposed to be like an outrageous, funny thing, but that's it just makes Helen look psychotic that she drives through the set. And 
Yeah. I'm not saying it would never work. In an episode with different tone and different circumstances, sure, it, I could that could be a funny big moment, but yeah. it just makes Helen look crazy. Because yeah. like, what's the old adage of like, it takes as long to get over a relationship as the relationship lasted? I don't think in the Wings universe, you know, it's hard to tell how much time has passed, but mm-hmm. I don't think their relationship was 10 months. I mean, granted, they had a 20-year friendship, but yeah. not sa- not saying she should be over it or not hurt in the moment, but not to the point of like... Yeah, 10 months later. Punching someone and then driving through their driving through their office. Yes, dude. Yes. that's It's truly crazy. Do you have any last thoughts? Because that's kind of... I think we've kind of like hit on the whole episode. I didn't like this episode. It was a bummer to open season three like this. Yeah. A um, couple good lines, a couple laughs. I like Lowell's hair, but there's not a lot of positive things to say about this episode. And it kind of also put me on uncertain footing going forward into this season of like what kind of storylines we have to look forward to. Dude, I was just thinking the exact same thing. Like, like uh, just to jump into it, I think I'd probably give this episode like one and a half, maybe I guess two stripes. Like yeah. I, maybe one and a half stripes. I mean, in terms of plotline and laughs, maybe like two. It's very average. But the mm-hmm. reason why I like I'm like tempted to go lower is because it makes me really uncertain of of how palatable the show is going to be going forward. Yeah, yeah. like it's. I really don't like, and I like Helen a lot. I think Helen's like in previous episodes, she's shown like a lot of empathy and she's been like, she's been very funny and like very mm-hmm. like uh, sympathetic, empathetic, all that stuff. But yeah. here we see her just being like so unreasonable in, in a way that like feels really like, oh, and like the other thing that bugs me out is like, this is a character that like, girls might have looked up to you and they might think that this kind of behavior is okay. When I grow up, I want to get a job at a strip club and uh, drive through my husband, through my ex-boyfriend's uh-huh. office. Yeah, she's ratchet, right? <laughs> Alan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go one and a half stripes. Just stick with it. I'm just going to say one stripe because I don't see... I mean... There wasn't major PC violations, just like minor ones, but there are, there's just not a lot of good things to say about this episode. I mean, and it was like broads, a, yeah. a bummer to watch. So like, so I'll say, I'll say one stride. Fair enough. Oh, do you want to say a VIP? I think Brian. Yeah, I, I like think... Brian and Lowell both, mm-hmm. but I, but we get a lot more Brian kind of throughout the, um, throughout the strip club scenes and stuff. Yeah. Lowell had the, one of the best laugh moments for me, but I think I'd have to go Brian too. I think Lowell is solid throughout this, but I, but like, yeah. He yeah. didn't have a lot to do though either. Just, yeah. So we get to see uh, Steven Weber lick a dollar bill and stick it to a woman's leg. <laughs> That's so, <laughs> so nasty. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. We talked about this season three premiere of wings and next week or roughly next week hopefully next week <laughs> next week we will return with uh is that a subpoena in your pocket <laughs> if you'd like to watch along with us and 
you don't have Paramount Plus, why don't you send us a line at wingsnutsprogram at gmail.com and we might have a super secret way for you to watch the show. And if you liked this, you can rate and subscribe and tell a friend in your life about our show. Uh, Emerson, thank you for watching Wings and talking about it with me. Jared, it was a delight. Even though the episode wasn't a delight, it was a delight chatting with you about it. Well, thank you. I, I, I take that remark to my heart. Bye-bye. Bye.